Welcome to Healing the City's Race and Ethnicity Podcast with your host Eric Seepin and Jessica Dennis. On this podcast, Jessica lays the groundwork for future conversations about race and ethnicity on the Healing the City Podcast. Right. So, um, I mean, you and I could talk about this for like ever, mm-hmm. but there are two things, two directions I thought maybe we could touch on a little bit. One, as you moved on past college and into master's and, and graduate level studies, I must, I know that had probably more to do with your understanding of race in education and, mm-hmm. and how, and you got introduced to, and maybe even in your bachelor's degree, you got introduced to these things, but you got introduced to a lot of different authors. We were talking about Toni Morrison, those yeah. kinds of people i mean i met i started reading in those her and others in in uh, um college mm-hmm. and you know even like the whole conversation i mean i when i was in education the conversation of representation in children's books mm-hmm. was just beginning in the like you know so in the early 90s we yeah. were just starting to touch on that um and what it even meant to like think about the other like mm-hmm. the otherization was beginning to be a word that was being used more and more in 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 education classes and things like that. So, as you have kind of gone, I mean, I feel like I would love to hear you just think talk about your own, like what is a, you know, kind of a commitment to the community, your own community, and helping it understand itself. Because I think like community, like you're saying, like pride for who your, your race and your ethnicity, and because it it's. Uh, I mean, really, it's so young in 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 the U.S. in the sense of it's just having some kind of power and some kind of identity and some way of mm-hmm. thinking about itself that isn't having it dictated. You you yeah. are this, like, but it can actually say, you know, we are this, and and yeah. kind of have a voice. Like, what do you? I don't know. What do you think about those things? How do you think about? <laughs> I mean, that's a lot of stuff. <laughs> um, but. I mean, less about how, you know, you know, how the dominant culture and, and minorities interact, but simply how does the Hispanic community understand itself together and, and what is your role in all of that? And Let me think about that because I'm thinking, question, but well, you're asking how does the Hispanic community understand itself together? Yeah, I, I think like at least my experience is for a long time, you know, minority communities tend to, uh, at least in the public dialogue, uh, find themselves being defined by the power, the structure, the power structure. Yeah. Yeah. In the public discourse. But now like, I feel like my, the minority community is trying to figure out its voice. Mm -hmm. And that means it looks awkward and different and, you know, I mean, it's it's trying to figure it out. And, and it's figuring it out while bumping up against all the other different yeah. voices. And I think, um, well, it's interesting that you, because it does relate to representation, right? I think, you know, it's not that the population in this country is new. Right. right. It's, no, it's no, not that. No. It's that because I, you know, I didn't mention, but I'm pretty sure the Olivares family was in oh. Texas before it was oh, Mexico long before. and all that. Yeah, I don't yeah. mean it that way. Yeah. So I think what we're talking about then is finally having the opportunity yeah, to represent ourselves. Yes. Um, and I was actually thinking today about YouTube. Like once YouTube came out, I remember in college, like that was probably the first time I saw videos by Latinos 
for Latinos, you know, we're making jokes about things that we typically joke about. Um, so I think when you give people the power to tell their own story, then that's what you're going to get. You're going to get these stories that what's called mainstream media aren't typically looking for right. or that because they're not mainstream, they're not going to sell. And so we're not going to publish this or we're not going to produce that. Right. So I think you're right. I, I, I'm definitely noticing a huge, you know, upsurge in it's, it's definitely not where it should be, but it's like, I'm seeing more Latinos on, on the big screen. You know, Diego Luna was, the main the main actor in that Star Wars movie Rogue One, right. and that was a huge deal because they let him keep his Mexican accent. Right. Uh, so that was a huge deal, and you're seeing other actors kind of popping out where they get to play these deep, meaningful roles and not these stereotypical, you know, uh, sidekicks. Yeah, or sidekicks the comedic. Or, yeah, but the stereotypical like I am. That's all I am. I'm this poor Latino oh, right. that needs that is working on your garden, right? you know? I'm thinking of Michael Pena and some of the some of the roles he's been in recently. Um, so yeah, and then you go to like Américo Paredes, who he's this author who's from my hometown. And I think I'm distantly related to him actually, but then I read his book uh, that you've probably never heard of. It's called George Washington Gomez. And he wrote it before he died, so it's still kind of the the rough draft version, but it's so good. And it's, I read that my, in college. I took an ethnic literature course, okay. and that's, believe it or not, that's the first time besides Sandra Cisneros that I read any books by non-white authors. I think, like maybe in high school, we read like Don Quixote. No, we didn't even read that. Oh wow! Yeah, that's no, not like. I, I can't remember very many. I, I think we read Maya Angelou in high school. So you're in a predominantly like Hispanic community. Yes. And the literature is not. No. At all. No. And that's that's not something I realized until I went to graduate school. Because I, I actually, after college, I went back to become a teacher. And I taught reading. And all the texts that I use, you know, I wasn't seeking out texts that my the community could identify with except for maybe one or two where i'm like oh everyone knows a story like Rona, so let's use that text but i yeah i as a teacher i was perpetuating this like idea of what good american literature is so i'm going to use that to teach my students and i didn't become aware of that until my graduate studies which was already like six years later after my first after I first became a teacher that it and it impacted me so much that that's what I decided to study and emphasize during my my last year there of you know why aren't teachers in these in these communities why aren't they using you know books and stories that will empower the community and teach them about themselves because um, that's a large part of my story. Like you said that, you know, everyone, like 90% Latino in South Texas, but we were reading The Grapes of Wrath. And, you know, I know why the cage bird sings. Like not one time did we read anything related. And these are like the AP courses that I'm talking about. So we didn't, we weren't really given the opportunity to read anything by 
authors that could speak about our lives. Right. Yeah. And I, I probably, again, aside from Sandra Cisneros, but even her books are more like based in urban settings and that's not how I grew up. So yeah, I, I did not discover that until years later. Um, so George Washington Gomez was one of those books. Um, and then there's another one that I can't tell you the title right now because I forgot. But you've, you've already shot off a whole bunch of titles. Of yeah, <laughs> sorry. No, that's great. No, no, but well, this one's in, in significant to me because it's specifically about my region, like right. where I'm from and what was happening with the Texas Rangers at the time. And so that book really spoke to me. It's not that great of a book, but it was, that's my grandfather's era. Right. Like he grew up while all of this was happening. Right. Um, and so that was... I, I think I felt like, is this what other people feel like? Like to know your history and to right. like feel like, you know, I finally understand my, my grandparents' context and their parents' context. Sure. So, yeah. I mean, and I, I don't have, it's weird because, you I mean, I'm part of the dominant culture. Mm. But at the same time, my family didn't immigrate until t- two generations ago into New York and Ohio. And so there's a city that's named after me, oh. Seepin. After you uh, specifically. specifically. <laughs> and then it's a city of peace because that's my, my last name either means peace or uh, ice axe. So either, <laughs> either one will work. But it's interesting because I understand just a tiny bit of that because American history really isn't my history. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Eastern block is my history. The Russians, Russian yeah. invasion, Catholicism. The fleeing, like the, the, you know, fleeing persecution. That's my history. Mm-hmm. Europe is my history. And I guess that's the difference that you, the excuse for you is this was a whole different country. Yes. For me, it was who up. decided right. not to tell these stories. Right. Yeah. Who right. decided that this region was worth knowing about. Right. Um, and I think especially there, you know, in Texas... Just a few years ago, there was a lot of heat on their social studies curriculum for not including, you know, not including true stories about the border and Mexico and and the impact of immigrants. Um, and then you can get into like the Mexican American Studies program in right. Tucson, 2013, and what was happening there. Right. So yeah, I think what what you were talking about before was like the you can. You can identify yourself within your community and you can have this voice. But then when it comes to mainstream, like you're still under this patriarchal Caucasian power that is not allowing your voice to be legitimized. Right. And so like the phrase that I gave you last week when we talked was the thing that I feel is the beams the community, I guess, we'll just say Latinos, it's simultaneously ignored and exploited. Yes. Like ignored when, oh, we don't want to tell that story and that's not really important to Hollywood or to books, but exploited politically when when it makes sense right. to have and, compassion. And exploited on both sides. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, it's being exploited right now because, uh, you know, in the sex education world because it's conservative. And so the conservatives mm-hmm. are using the Hispanic community to try to to disrupt the more progressive sex education are you saying for uh like latinx is that what you oh, mean oh no or? just as, oh. as the as the more progressive you know sex education community you know the lgbq community mm-hmm. that whole 
thing is trying to bring in an updated sex education because the Hispanic community is largely Catholic. Mm. The you know uh, the the conservative community, which is not really interested in the Hispanic community that much, is now interested at least in you know mobilizing them to speak out against that. Yeah, uh, interesting. And yeah. So and I and I see it on the other end in the progressive world too. It, 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 it's not mm-hmm. so well. And the example I gave you was after El Paso. You know, all the Democratic all the Democratic candidates, the presidential Democratic candidates, they all came out. And not all of them, but I feel like most of them use this as a tool to speak against the current president. Right. It's like this. You can't just talk about, you know, people's deaths. Yeah. You can't just talk about that. You have to. And I guess, it's you know, it's it's wise on their part to use what they can and use the tools. But it was like, why are where was this before El Paso? Right. Yeah. Yeah. What, and yeah. some, some, you know, some do you like uh, Bethel O'Rourke, for example, he's from that community. So he speaks very well about, you know, issues that sure that that community cares about. But, you know, not everyone does until it benefits them. Hmm. Yeah. So one one last question. Well, two last questions, <laughs> but they're short. Uh, maybe you could explore just a little bit with me because we've talked about it. I mean. You and Albert had a baby. Mm-hmm. And I know, like, when when you thought about, okay, I've had all these experiences, and you and Albert have very different understandings of what it means to be in this, and be an American mm-hmm. in the sense of understanding who you are, are in your identity. Were you nervous about having a child? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think, and that's... I think I was resentful about that, that I couldn't just be a woman who wanted a baby and could be excited about the baby's future and all the opportunities that I also had to have this extra fear mm. of, you know, someday someone will see my child and attribute like give him a label or, you know, tell him to go back to Mexico or something and it it will happen um the fear is that that'll turn violent and you know i won't be able to protect him from that um so yeah i before i had a baby i i kept thinking like why it's not fair it's just not fair and you know should i bring a baby into the world and of course that's extreme like latinos have babies every day right and it's yeah when we're talking about your story yeah and it doesn't it doesn't even have to be fully legitimate it's your story right it's your so yeah i was scared i think it was also um it was also around the time that uh trump was elected and so you heard you heard so much more negative comments you know like i said every election cycle you hear things but this was different this was inciting violence almost and it wasn't just him necessarily it was these other things that were being shouted out um, or said. And so the very real possibility that people would incite violence against my future child was now something that I had to really think about and consider. And um, El Paso kind of confirmed that. But I think, yeah, at the time, uh, someone said to me and it really helped uh 
they said, you know, you can't control that and you have to have faith and trust that God is going to take care of you no matter what. Um, and that, yeah, because you can't control it. And there's so many other things to worry sure. about for, for the possibility of having a kid. And this is just one additional right. thing. Right. Right. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. L- let's just say I'm listening to this. And, mm-hmm. and I made it all the way to the end. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, you're excited. And you're like, okay, some of this stuff I just don't understand what Jessica's talking about. Some of it just makes me really uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Like, could you recommend like what, like an entry-level <laughs> book that would get me to start thinking about this stuff, but not necessarily be so over my head that I just wouldn't understand what's going on? Entry-level. uh like it could be a fiction book that might kind of, or or it could be something that's that's a little bit more academic. Yeah, I wish I wish I would have known this question sooner. Sorry, I so I sorry. do know I know several resources, but entry level. Um, I think one of the things there's just so many articles. There's so many entry level articles that you can start reading, and some of them are. What would be a good Google search for me if yeah, I was uh, looking for like being a white ally, and what that means? Okay, uh, uh, that would that'd be cool. Yeah, and what is it? What does it mean to be an ally, or what is white privilege even? Because then you can go into this whole. I don't think you can have this conversation until the the other person realizes that we all have bias, mm-hmm. right? Someone when, someone said, if you have a brain, you have bias. Right. And that's just something that our brain develops to survive. Right. Um, and so even the most well-meaning people will still put labels on others and, right. you know, stereotype others. And so I think one, you can't really have that conversation until – the other person understands that, that like, yes, I am. I am part of the problem sometimes. And I've done these things sometimes. And I've said these things sometimes. That doesn't mean I'm this horrible person. But I have to own the fact that, you know, there are things that I'm just not aware of. And so I think looking up a Google search would just be um, knowing your own bias. Yeah. Yeah, I like being a white ally. That's a, yeah. that's a good search. Knowing your own bias. I, I'm glad you said that because I think sometimes when we have these conversations, people think, "Oh, okay, so if it, it's just white people, they're the problem." Yeah, and in the sense they are, in that we are in the dominant culture. Mm-hmm. But if any other race is the dominant culture, it often has the same kinds of issues. And and is, but right now that's just not the facts. The facts are that the white community is in power and has mm-hmm. been for a very long time yeah. and has to deal with its history mm-hmm. and what it's done. But we could go, I, I think sometimes people who are trying to digest all of this are like, well, wait a minute, like, are you saying that the, the, the minority community or the Hispanic community, they're better people and they just oppressed and like they start putting value judgments. Yeah. On these, and, and when you mm-hmm. talk about these things, you're not making value judgments. You're not saying no. I'm a better person than you, and I've been. I'm more enlightened, or as like yeah. the, you know, the people like to say, I'm more woke than you are. <laughs> That's not what you're saying. No, you're- I think the new. Um, this is one of the articles that I sent you. They were talking about how often people like me get put into the position of talking to a white person about this. And then instead of them just kind of listening, it turns into me consoling them. Mm. Like, no, you're, you're okay. You know, yeah. Making them feel better. Sure. um, Or trying to downplay some of the things. So 
yeah, so it is it is important to I don't know. I, I think you know what I'm trying to say that No, I think yeah. I know what you're trying to say. I think that like it's it's awkward and uncomfortable mm-hmm. you know, to to lose some of your power in yeah. order for someone else to have a voice and not you know and not respond in a way of, uh, that's defensive and not in a way that like even it, it just listen. Yeah. And I think that's hard. It's hard because you want to say, well, wait, what about me? Mm-hmm. Or, well, my community's not like that. Or, you know, you, yeah. you want to, instead of being like, no, like I have no idea what you're experiencing. And I just have to listen. Mm-hmm. And I like the, you know, I think you've, the white ally thing is a, a helpful thing for me to begin to process mm-hmm. that I hadn't really thought a lot about. Yeah. So. I will say the, what now is being said because i think a few years ago it was like be an ally and yeah, help sure. people now it's being accomplice yeah and that's a better word i don't like the ally thing but well the accomplice is like someone who will go to bat for you and like yeah. go to jail defending yeah, this. yeah yeah um so i think i think we're gonna start hearing that a lot more in the future that it's not enough to just know and listen to people you have sure. to take action yeah. and, and make change right yeah but that's not entry level. <laughs> no, that's not entry level. No. I mean, it's where we're at right now. Yeah. Well, Jessica, thank you so much. This was yeah. a lot of fun. And you'll notice something about the studio. It's in the middle of the summer. It gets really it's hot. hot. <laughs> it's hot in so here. So we need to end this podcast. <laughs> so thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, this was fun. Yeah.